veterinary practices are the least risky business out there. And when it comes to least risk, it doesn't mean you need a, a humongous amount of money in your business. I usually think between one to three months of operating expenses is good. And then anything beyond that should be being utilized to enhance your business or building your personal life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the veterinary marketing podcast from Whisker Cloud. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have Tom Seco from Florida Veterinary Advisors with me. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm pumped to be here today. I'm happy to have you here, too. I love talking about money and financial stuff because I just find it all so interesting. And and I think that's probably the number one thing that veterinary professionals stress about and freak out about. So now is a good time to just continue chatting about it as we've, you know, I was going to say, well, as we've made it through the pandemic, but who the hell knows? But as we're hopefully on the other side of the pandemic, so it'll be good. I have some questions for you today on the help these people should be doing with their money and how they should be spending and investing it and how they should be investing in their business. Absolutely. I've got a lot of good feedback and a lot of good things that I can share. Hopefully, if there's anyone that does want to take the conversation offline and make it a little bit more specific to them, they can always contact me afterwards. Perfect. I love that. So before we jump in, I think you personally know this. Everyone personally knows this about me at this point. I love the Incredible Hulk. I'm literally recording this episode with an Incredible Hulk t-shirt on from my home office. More importantly, I had to turn into the Incredible Hulk with one of our vendors today. So talk to me about your origin story to veterinary medicine. What happened to get you into vet med? So I don't know if it's the most exciting and thrilling story, but I mean, I'll try to add a little flair to it if I can. I've been in the financial business now for just over 10 years. I started in 2011, in May of 2011, and uh, I had a, a short stint somewhere else at another company about two, three years when I really got out of college, just trying to figure out my way. I really couldn't find the bathroom where I worked. It was It was one of those things that I was trying to learn more about the industry, the things that were cool about it, the things that I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want to implement those things into what we do for business. And after about a couple of years of doing that, I transitioned over to the firm that I'm at now. And uh, the West Shore Financial Group is our main firm. However, my business partner, CJ and I, we started Florida Veterinary Advisors in 2015. So we're considered an affiliate of West Shore. And, you know, it really just all started when I was in a training class and it was around long-term disability insurance, like, because it's a huge subject when it comes to anyone, because you want to make sure you protect your income properly in the event you become, you know, sick or injured. And there's this one sheet, this, this sheet, the handout that was given to us that had all these different types of professions and industries that we could work with. And, you know, me being new to the firm and trying to figure out my way, I was like, I don't even know who I want to talk to, who I want to work with. I used to work with teachers beforehand. So as I was looking at the list, there's a bunch of numbers people and very methodical people. So like accountants and engineers and and you had some dentists and some other different people that were on the list and veterinarians kind of struck me on that list. Cause I was like, well, out of all the people that I feel like I can connect with the person that, that I was like, I could really bond with were, were veterinarians because I'm a dork when it comes to animals. And my, my wife is always poking fun at me because we've, I've had cats and fish and dogs and hamsters and birds and all these different things. And I have like this obsessive behavior when it comes to them. And I have a little dog right now. His name's Theodore. I just, I love him to death and I, I just can't help but, you know, just showing him compassion and love for him. And I was like, well, 
this is a great opportunity for me to just connect with a, uh, with a community that enjoys the same thing. And, you know, as we started digging further and talking to people, there's a part in the finances that people are getting products and certain investments and things that are being provided to them. But when it comes to really creating a plan and having something that can be dynamic and flexible as life is changing, a lot of that wasn't being addressed. And we just, we really knew there was something there to help with. And, you know, here we are now almost seven years later and uh, we're really, you know, really just starting. I love it. And I honestly, I love what you said about Theodore because that's how I feel about my pets. I mean, you know, when I do meetings and stuff and I'm on Zoom, I mean, people see both my Boston Terriers are sleeping behind me. The cat's usually on the desk screaming about something. And I mean, that's really, this is why I think a lot of people are here. I don't think you can be in vet med if you don't love animals. And I think even the people out there who are seeing that there's a lot of money in vet med right now, I still think if you don't love animals, it just doesn't make sense. So I, I really like, I know you said a lot of important things there and I was thinking about like, see what he said about Theodore. I'm sitting here staring at Baxter, my nine-year-old Boston Terrier who I rescued years ago as we're talking, just looking at him like, that's how I feel, man. Baxter, yeah, I love you. And I think it's like a lot of people talk about vet med and they talk about vets don't make a lot. There's a lot of student debt. It's hard to run a company. It's hard to run the practice. All of that's true. And I've heard from well before I started Whisker Cloud, even through now, Vets are bad at business. Vets don't understand money. Vets this and this and this. But I don't think a lot of people understand money, which is not just a veterinary thing. But in terms of vet med, like I'm just going to ask this question just to kind of kick us off today. What is the number one money mistake that veterinary business owners make? Ooh, I, I think it's kind of a twofold thing here. One is just not knowing their numbers. And I think also, too, is just keeping an exorbitant amount of cash in their business to either where there's like really no intentionality behind it. So they they start having money, they start being successful, and there really is no idea of how they're using it to grow their business better or how to build their personal wealth outside of their business. So when they when they want to sell their practice and get out. So it's, you know, it's one thing is really knowing the numbers, profitability, P&Ls and all those different things. But then knowing what they're doing with the profits and the cash in the business, like I just, I had a conversation with someone the other day, they have like almost $600,000 sitting in the business. They're operating for, you know, a month by month is about $50,000 a month. So it's like, they've got almost, a, they've got a year's worth of money in the business for why, what are they doing with it? And uh, that is a huge, huge opportunity for a lot of practice owners out there. So let's say I owned a business. And, and listen, if you're if you're out there and you own a business, a veterinary business, you're listening to this and you're sitting there feeling great that you have five, six hundred thousand dollars in the bank thinking, OK, good. There's going to be rainy days. There's going to be ups and downs. Good thing I have this money. You just said right now, like, that's stupid. Well, not stupid, but that's not what they should be doing. So <laughs> he didn't say stupid. I said stupid. So if it was you, what would you do with that money? Well, so it's a little bit of more of a, a bigger thing to unpack here in the conversation I would say the simplest way to put this is that needing to understand what the intentions behind the money is used for. So like if I have all of this cash in the business, you know, I, I would say time after time, after time, after time, after time, like I couldn't even say that enough times that we talk to practice owners and they just have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in their business. And their idea is, well, I will just start throwing and giving it to more of my staff, which is not a bad idea. I'm going to start buying more equipment or renovating the building or doing certain things. But I will tell you, it really all boils down to one thing here. 
please excuse me for everyone, whoever's listening right now, but I'm just going to be very transparent about this. You know, one is, of course, it's the care of the animals. Like, that's super huge. But at the same time, being an owner, the whole idea behind this is to build personal wealth. You know, you want to have the flexibility to do the things that you want to do. But how are you utilizing your practice by the the money and the profits that it's making to build your wealth, but then also utilizing that money to now grow the business in a way to where it enhances the value in the future? So when you go to sell it, you know, you're getting the best dollar for it. And, you know, even if you're in a person who says wants to sell it to a, another veterinarian or a, a group of veterinarians in your practice, if you have a very solid plan of how you're building your life personally, it gives you a lot more freedom and flexibility on how you're going to sell your practice later. So it's like really getting an understanding of like, why am I using this money? What's the purpose behind it? And I know just even the simplest thing I can say here today is, you know, veterinary practices are very, you know, the environment's kind of crazy at the moment. I just due to the fact of the massive influx of patients coming in with people coming in with their pets. And now they're over here, not being able to service them and they're down veterinarians and down staff. I will tell you, you don't have like a really a, a production problem. I think it's more of a capacity problem to a certain degree. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, some practice owners we talk to are really paranoid about, Hey, life is, you know, it's going to be doom and gloom. And now all of a sudden that life is going to fall apart and I need all of this money in the business. And, you know, just a statistic that I heard not too long ago is that veterinary practices are the least risky business out there. And when it comes to least risk, it doesn't mean you need a, a humongous amount of money in your business. I usually think between one to three months of operating expenses is good. And then anything beyond that should be being utilized to enhance your business or building your personal wealth. Like that's what it should be used for. I and mean, if you're not doing that, then it might be something to you know take a second look at. And how are you doing that? And what is it really the impact on you over time? Okay. I've, and honestly, I'm sitting here taking notes as you're talking because I think that's really interesting and really great. But let me ask you a follow-up to that because I own a business. I think about this stuff a lot. Do you think that the average veterinary professional, and this may have changed in the last couple of years because now we're, we're seeing a shift towards this, but do you think maybe even five years ago that were people buying hospitals with the intention to one day I'm going to flip this and make and you know build my personal wealth? Do you? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've spoken. I mean, I. I mean, Whisker Club works with thousands worldwide of you know just veterinarians that own businesses and own hospitals and own mobile practices, and I've had really deep conversations with them. I don't know how many conversations I've had with them where they talk about building personal wealth or one day selling. Do you think they think that way, or are they just like screw it? I don't want to work for someone else, so I'm just going to open my own thing. I think it's a twofold kind of question there. And it's fascinating you bring that up because I think a lot of people who get into business get into business because they want the freedom to do the things that they want to do. However, any business owner that gets in the business should always have an understanding of what is my exit later. And the, the I, I, it really boils down to the clarity of why am I getting in business one. And, you know, business is a massive, a massive undertaking. Like it's not something you just take lighthearted, especially like, you know, your culture is massively impacted by who's leading it, depending on how you invest your money in the business or the things that you're doing and how you price your services and everything else, or how you want to grow it, what your vision is. Like, there's a lot to it. And, you know, some people just get into business. And I will say, you know, the previous generation, you know, especially boomers, like I think is a huge thing today. A lot of them are starting to transition out. And these buying groups are all over the place, just like sucking up practices. Like they're just nonstop. And what I really think it stems to a lot of that too is many of them, of course, they want to get the highest dollar they can, 
However, when you're, you're in business, there's two things really just go back to what I said a minute ago. Your business shouldn't be your net worth. And at the end of the day, if it is, well, we need to really take a step back because now you're relying so heavily on that future sale to continue that lifestyle you want in your future. So like, you know, think of it just to put some numbers to this, not to make this too complicated. Let's say I was using my business and paying for business expenses or paying for personal expenses and I was paying myself and everything else. And my business was doing $250,000 of income to me between a, a salary and some profits that we're making from the business. Now I sell my business for $2 million. I sell my practice, it's gone. If I want to continue $250,000 of income, well, that's eight years. Maybe I can invest it and earn some kind of growth on it, maybe push it 10 years. So what's happening is that so many people are trying to get to the part where it's like, I need all of this money possible to continue to maintain. But then also there's one other kicker in here, not to go too far down this, is that a lot of them will get this lump sum of money and not know what to do with it. They just kind of take it and throw it in the bank. I actually have a call with someone soon. She received a few million dollars for a business and it's just been sitting in the bank for the last nine months. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't know what to do with it. So it's it's crazy. It's like it's it's insane when I sit here and I look at this and like if you have a plan, like what's so in just to kind of end this thought here is that being a practice owner, you know, you should have a plan to where you're using the income and the profits of the business to build personal wealth. And I think a lot of people from you know previous generations, it was more of like, I want to have my own business. I want to have my own my own livelihood that I'm creating. But then like what's happening today is that practice owners wanted to exit yesterday and they didn't plan. So like the only course of action that they really have is to just sell their business. They didn't really save much. Maybe they didn't get a lot of guidance on how to save money or where to save money, how to utilize the business without starving it. So those are a lot of things that I, I feel being very addressed previously which is something that we're really trying to shed the light on because it's super huge. If you can understand that, you know, your, your life can be drastically different. It's so interesting because I, you know, like I said, I, like I always say on this ep- on these episodes, I'm in the groups and I talk to a lot of vets who are just like, this sucks. I've got so much student debt. I don't make a lot of money. And I'm, I'm always thinking to myself and it's different for everyone. I'm like, I go to the vet. I got two dogs and a cat. Okay, we need some Apoquel. We need some Cytopoint shots. Can you do some exams? We do the cleanings every year. But, you know, my standard visits, three, 400 bucks easily. Now, I know there's markups and cost of goods sold and all that. But, yeah, it's just so interesting to me. And, like, hearing you talk about it like that, I always wonder, and I don't think this is just vet med, you know, how many people run businesses? How many people are on top of their numbers? How many people do think about profitability? How many people do think about, their prices and if they if they should be charging more charging less you know perhaps they have some things that are so overpriced i'm thinking of things like a tplo where and and we had a situation with a clinic in san diego that we were doing some ads for it's like tplos they're doing like six to eight a month i explained to them your prices are not just like 10 percent higher than a lot of the other people even in the same state i mean you're like 40 percent higher drop the price a little bit and the ads were doing great they filled the schedule I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. So you have to ask yourself, you know, sometimes it's like, Hey, we're charging 12 bucks for nail trims. Maybe we want to charge 18. That's probably not going to affect your profit too much. But you know, if TPLOs are, uh, you know, if you're in that 2,500 to $4,000 range, depending on what you do there, the difference, you can either do eight at 4,000 or you can do 20 at 3,000. Do some quick math there. It, It really works out for you to figure out your pricing both ways. So 
it's just interesting to hear you talk about all of that because I'm trying to think about our savviest customers that I know. And and honestly, I'll just say this. If you've gotten to the point where you own a business, you're probably pretty savvy, but I think they're savvy. And then I think there's this stuff. And, you know, I went to business school and graduated with honors. I'll tell you this. They didn't teach me anything that I do day to day here. So, and, and, and vet professionals, how many business classes do they have to take Two electives, you know? So, man, so when people come to you, how novice are they when it comes to money matters? Do you feel like maybe 20% come to you and they like really know their stuff? Or is it just like they really need a lot of education, a lot of help? I will tell you, if you asked me this question five years ago, I would tell you that a lot of maybe the percentage would be a lot higher. I believe over the last five or so years, because of the amount of attention that's been drawn to practice ownership and these groups buying them, a lot more people are becoming savvy and just trying to figure out understanding more of those different numbers in their business and making sure they're good. However, I will say that you know if they're into certain groups that are out there like VMGs and certain professional groups that really put an emphasis on those things, their practices, I will say most of the time, they're pretty good. You know, I give them a B plus, an A, there's sometimes things, though, that they could be doing, maybe taking to that next level to get more efficiency from what they're doing. But most people, like I would say we talk to, I mean, they're sitting here in this position, maybe, I don't know, let's say 60, maybe 70% of practice owners we talk to, they're not really paying themselves a certain wage or taking profits. They don't know their P&Ls. They don't know their, what they've made in profits for the past year. They don't know how much they're, you know, things like simple things like how much am I paying my staff from a percentage of my, my profits or from my, my revenue, I mean. And there's really just the, they're in the business working, doing what they do. They're good at what they do, being a veterinarian. And then the rest of it just tends to get forgotten. And then what happens is where I see so much of this is that people will, their plan becomes an accidental result of many different types of decisions that they've made. And then sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, I feel like when we get pulled into a good amount of equations, when people are looking to retire, a lot of the decisions they've made can't be changed and there's not enough time to reverse them. So, you know, the more that the people can be more in tune with, hey, this is what my business is doing. This is how it's building me wealth. Do you have the right professionals on your team? Like those things are so huge. And then it's like really what I would say is balancing your personal and practice financial planning together and then making sure you have a, an understanding of like, where do you want to go? Like, how do you want to get out of your business at some time in the future? And if someone who's listening right now is, I'm just starting, well, you should be thinking about that. If you're in the middle of your career, you should be thinking about that. If you're getting close to retiring, you should be thinking about that. Don't just wait until that day and just be like, I'm tired, and then just get out. <laughs> like, always think about it. Like, and, I, and you know, not to be, I don't know, I don't want to come across as a jerk on here. I'm just, sometimes it's, you know, people are like, I want to get out of my business yesterday. And it's like, even if you want to sell to a buying group, you need at least good financials and you need time. You're going to need at least a year or two. Um, there's some that take a, a couple of years before you're fully out of it because they partner with you. If you want to sell to an associate, you need five to 10 years. If you want to do it effectively, if you want to do it where you're minimizing your taxes and the risk, uh, you need more time. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think is becoming more and more, people are becoming more cognizant of it. They're starting to pay more attention to it. However, it's still being able to connect the dots. Sometimes I feel like they know about it, but what do I do next? I'm tired. 
<laughs> well, because you said if they're like, you know, if they're like, I'm tired and I just want to be done. I'm like, I'm tired. Now that's really, uh, that's really interesting stuff. And I, and honestly, you said you don't want to come off as a jerk. I'm constantly like talking my normal, like blunt self on this podcast. I'm always like, do people think I'm just such a schmuck or are they like, Hey, we like him. At least he's, at least he's honest. He's not like BSing us. So, and I like that you're kind of not BSing through this episode, which I really like because vet med is full of bullshit and it's full of fake information. And it's full of, I think right now it's, I see veterinary medicine as I tell a lot of my tech buddies, I'm like veterinary medicine. It's like a gold rush right now. Everyone sees dollar signs and everyone will say whatever they need to say to do whatever they have to do. It's pretty aggressive out there and that's how it is. And, and I like being the voice of reason when I can, even if I do come off like a jerk. So I appreciate that. And I don't think you're a jerk, but this is, this is just so interesting. So one of the things I was really excited about this podcast is because I know you and I knew you'd be offering just like actionable steps for people to do right on the spot. And I think so far in this episode, 20 minutes in, that's exactly what you've been doing, which I love. So I don't know if you were like, you know, coaching a clinic and, you know, like I said, you know, what is the biggest mistake they're making? But even beyond that, let me ask this question. You kind of talked about like, do they, they typically don't know what they're paying their staff, you know, in relation to their profits and revenues. Do you think that people are, do you think that's easily fixable? Do you think they have that ability to really look at the staff and understand what they need? I mean, I think right now in vet med, it's so hard to hire that a lot of hospitals are just being forced to maybe pay the extra buck or two an hour that they typically weren't going to pay, but need it. They need to make a better offer to the vet because Banfield's offering this or that. I mean, when it comes to hiring, I assume that's the biggest expense. Payroll expense has to be the biggest expense. It's the biggest expense at Whisker Cloud. Am I crazy? Is it, it's gotta be, is right. Is it the biggest expense for most hospitals? I would say for some, it's a lot more. Uh, there is of course, you know, there's certain standards, of course, when they say if you're at a certain size of practice. And I will say today is a little interesting of an environment because of there is a finding enough workforce to work at the practice between veterinarians and technicians. And it's a tough world right now where, you know, I'm hearing these super massive sign-on bonuses where, you know, to a certain part, I feel like it's going to put such a squeeze on these smaller practices that I don't know what's going to really happen over time. And, you know, especially the more that they overcommit to paying people, it really puts them in a very compromised position because now it's like they don't have much much room to work. And what I mean by work, it's like unless they're going to drive their revenues higher and their profitability, and I'm not even just talking about revenues, I'm talking about like the profits that the business makes because you can make more revenue and make less money. So like, you know, being able to increase the profits of the business, but at the same time, like, you know, something to just think about for people who are listening when paying different and teammates and people that are working with you, th there really needs to be what we call the, every time CJ and I always, my business partner, CJ and I, we always talk about this. I can't, can't just not sound like a pirate. I feel like I need an eye patch every time <laughs> is there's the three R's that you have to focus on recruiting, rewarding, and retaining. So like when you're compensating people, of course, there needs to be a living wage. There has to be a reasonable amount that you pay someone. And at the same time, though, it's like when it comes to how people are being compensated or things that are being implemented, you know, how are you making your practice attractive to where people want to work there? You know, how are you communicating the, the culture, 
the environment, how are you communicating to people, like what they're coming into, but then also what are some of the ancillary benefits that you offer? Like, you know, things like 401ks and health insurance and uh, different types of group insurances and CE reimbursement, all these different things that can be implemented in there. Um, of course, if anyone's listening, don't just jump in and just start getting all these different things, make sure it works for you. But then also when it comes to rewarding, you know, a lot of times people, what I see a lot with practices, and especially today, there's around like student loans, like giving money for student loans. I'd be very careful on that. There's certain tax laws that are out there at the moment where, where it says that you can get a tax write-off as a practice owner. And then also it can be beneficial to the person who receives the money for the loans. But just take a closer look, because from my understanding, you might not get tax write-offs for it. So I'm not, I'm not an accountant or anything, but just keep that in mind. But then like when it comes to rewarding, you know, a lot of times it's just there, there are no metrics that are really defining how people are getting rewarded. It's Christmas time comes around, practice did good, everyone gets a bonus. Oh, things were good this month, everyone gets a check. So like the whole point of rewarding should be really be focused in on, hey, how are we being able to motivate a group of people or people individually to get them to work harder? How do we get them to be more engaged? So like rewarding needs to be really thought about in that process and then find ways to track and give them a way to be able to visualize how they're enhancing and improving things within the business. And then recruiting, you know, if you have people like, let's say veterinarians you're bringing on or different, different employees, you know, how are we being able to keep them attached to the practice for a extended period of time? So instead of them, you know, getting a better salary offer down the road, maybe is there a way for you to one, you know, the, the recruiting and the culture and everything else, but design type of employment agreements to where it delays compensation to them. And it's pretty substantial at the end. Like they get a pretty good lump sum if they stay with you. And it's really to encourage them to like be there, work, know that they're going to get something at the end of it and they're not going to go anywhere. So like when you pay your staff so much, it can put you in a position now where you're like, I have no room to do this stuff. And I've had practices where they're paying, you know, their veterinarians so much money that, you know, if you try to pay them anymore, now you're going way above what the rates would usually be. So, you know, it's it's definitely this, this environment right now, Adam, is, it's interesting to see what's going to happen. And I'm sure it's stretching some practices. I'm hoping that these practices who are hiring people at a higher rate are able to recover that based off of the productivity that they're able to produce. But, you know, that's all going to be tell over the next, I don't know, let's say six to 12 months. We're going to see how it really really kind of falls as things kind of settle out a little bit. Wow. That's really interesting. And, and while you were talking, it made me think of a chat I had with one of our clinics in Arizona and they had like raised the price of their wellness exams, like a dollar 50. And then they emailed us again, raise it like another $2 and then they raised another $3. It reminded me of a, a Jerry Seinfeld bit that he did on the tonight show where he was talking about stamps and, you know, he says, oh, the postmaster general comes out, he's sweating. He says, oh, my God, we got to raise stamps a penny. I'm so sorry. We got to we can't do it. We're, we're going to, you know, and he's like, make it a buck. We're going to get there anyway. And that's it's just so interesting. I, I ended up talking to the practice owner. I said, hey, I said, as a pet owner, if I went in and it was 55 bucks, then it was 56.50 and then it was 59 and then it was 61. And like you did that every month, I'd be really bugged. Like I said, dude make it 65 and call it a day. He's like, oh, I can't do that. And I always say the same thing about like a lot of food. I don't really eat a lot of Chipotle now in my life, but years ago I lived next to a Chipotle. I was younger. I used to go to Chipotle all the time and I would 
you know, you get a giant steak burrito bowl, avocado. It's like nine bucks. And I used to think to myself, they could make it 12. I wouldn't care. And I say that about a lot. So, but again, it's like, you know what you're saying? It's even if you start saying, okay, we want to keep a better vet. We're going to give them this extra 10,000 that might be higher than market rate for our area. You know, you're not going to make that up going up a buck 50 at a time to your wellness plans or, you know, on your wellness exam. So it's, it's weird. I mean, from afar, I feel thankful that Whisker Cloud, we do our thing. We make sure the website's good. We make sure you're on Google. We make sure things are fast. We make sure the funnels are built out. You know, we do a lot of that stuff, but we don't have to mess with the, you know, the day-to-day operations because I, I find that stuff incredibly tough when it comes to vet med. But that's kind of where I want to take this. So most vet hospitals, let's say that person you were talking about sitting on $600,000, that person, I know because I've had this conversation, that person will say, nah, Google ads aren't for us. Eh, we don't need to go to website. We shouldn't have an app. We don't want to send reminders. Why even send postcards? Why? Why don't, even when, they, when they're sitting on a lot of cash, why doesn't the average hospital think to themselves, sort of like what you were saying, shouldn't you invest in the business? I know if I had 600000 sitting there, my advertising, I'd feel bad for any other vet hospital within 20 miles of me because I'd be, you, would, you wouldn't get a keyword <laughs> in. I would take every keyword, even the most insane long tail keywords, and I would outbid you on every single one. And I'll, and I'll say this for everyone out there listening. I don't mind saying this. We're recording this September of 2021. As of three days ago, and, and we've continued to pile on, this is far and away the biggest month of new business in the history of Wisconsin. And when I say far and away, I mean by like 30%. And I challenged the hell out of our sales team. I said to them, you're not going to be aggressive at all. You're not going to be pushy and you're not going to bullshit people. But we're going to be better than we've been. We're going to follow up more. You're going to show more value. And we did. Now I'm going to tell you what else contributed to that. We've spent more money this month on marketing and advertising than we ever have because the last two months I've watched the, you know, the roller coaster sort of keep climbing. And I, and this month it was like three days into this month. It was, we were way ahead of schedule. And by the way, if you're out there listening, I say way ahead of schedule because I know every month, how many new customers whisker cloud should have and how much new monthly recurring revenue we should have by the first, by the third, by the eighth, every month. So when it's the ninth, I know where we should be at by the ninth. If we're not there, if we're below it by a dollar, I know that. That's a lot to think about, but you should be doing the same with your with your veterinary business, right? It's like if, if, if every month we want to hit this number, we want to grow by this much, you can do quick math. There's 30 days in a month. I want to hit this number. By the 10th, I should be at one third of that number. And if I'm not, I got to figure it out. So when we saw that some things were happening in this industry, I won't say what, but we saw some things happening and we saw an opportunity. We we targeted specific things and it worked and that's what we did. And, and that's how we spend our money to invest back in the business. So you know, I want everyone to know how I see it and how I think about it because I am a business owner with 30, however many employees. And, and, you know, we work with 3000 veterinary professionals and veterinary related businesses worldwide. And, you know, we collect 2 billion pieces of data a month, but I can't sit back and say, well, I'm crazy busy, which I am. I can't sit back and say, well, I don't have time to think about the numbers and think about, you know, our growth. So it's like when we have a record month like this, the only thing that stresses me out is now we've set the bar so high and we've had such a big month that, you know, next month is either going to be comically 
not as good because we had such an increase this month or hopefully it puts us on a new track where we continue to grow like that. But I don't think veterinary hospitals look at revenue that way. Do they, do they look at seasonality? Does, does the average veterinary hospital owner that you deal with know that on the 10th of the month, they should have this much revenue if they want to keep pace. Do they do that? Not from what I, what I see a lot when it comes to the practice, there's, there are some that will pay attention to that, but most of them, when I asked them, like, how do they do in this month or, how do they do it in that month? Or they, they will know when their slowdown periods are because they'll say like, well, this month we have like less people that we see, which of course has a direct connection to, to profits and revenue. But other than that, when it comes to, you know, the whole seasonal aspect, and I think just to touch on the, the marketing part that you added there too, where I think the biggest part is the challenge too when practices have a lot of money in their business is that sometimes they need to be able to see what kind of return they're going to get and why it matters to them. And I think that's like, Sometimes it's just I have all this money and we've been doing things for so long the way we're doing things and it's been working. So like, why should we put this money into marketing? Why should we be doing these different things? Like, how does it really help me? And, I, and it really boils back down to, I'm just going to say it again, clarity. Like, what are they trying to accomplish? And if, you know, if their accomplishment is they're happy with where they're at, they might not find a lot of necessity in it. If they're really trying to enhance and build a better business and more profitable business and they want to grow, I'm sure those people all day long will sign up with you like hand over fist. They're like, yeah, I want to take this to that next level. And, you know, sometimes there are people that are just, they, they are where they are. I know some of the old school practice owners we work with, they, you know, they, they keep amount of cash in there because it's just the way they've known how to do things forever. Yeah. That's so interesting to me. It's like, I mean, and I, and I have that conversation with vets too, where I'm like, Hey, you had a record month on your website. How's business? Or they'll say, well, you know, we had a great month. I can't really attribute it to you. And I'll say, well, that's cool. What, you know, what software are you using to track your revenue? Oh, we don't really look at that. You know, I just have an accountant that tells me how we did for the month. I'm like, what's the point? What are we talking about here? What are you doing here? You know, it's like, it's like anything else. Right. So like, you know, whisker cloud. Okay. I get whisker cloud free. The whiskercloud.com and everything we do is on the same platform that every every veterinary hospital, every mobile vet, every practice, we're all the same. We use the same technology for our own platform as you use for yours. But the difference is I also pay 20 other companies for tracking and CRM and email marketing and data and advertising. You know, it's like so, you know, I always say like we're a single piece of the pie. And it's nice. I like when you eat whisker cloud pie, whisker cloud pie is great, but there's 10 other pieces to that pie that you really have to invest in. It's the same thing. And I don't think a lot of people think like this in vet med. It's the same thing with my dogs. I have parasite prevention. I do two wellness checks a year because they're nine and 11. We do annual dental cleaning. So I have to make sure that they're exercising well. I have to make sure that they're eating the right food. I have to make sure that they're on the right preventative care. I have to make sure that they're taking their Apoquel and doing their side appoint shots. So, you know, whether it's taking care of a dog or a child or anything or your business, it's the same. There's not just one a one size fits all for everything. So that's why it's so interesting when you, th when you're talking about vets that are hoarding cash, I'm thinking like, if I was hoarding that much cash, I'd be sitting there saying, how do I double in size? Or, you know, two other things. One that you said was how do I, you know, give myself some wealth as the business owner whose ass is on the line every day, or even beyond that, 
what will this money do to give me a better life? Meaning, should I hire another doctor? Should I hire another assistant manager and assistant practice manager? Like what else can I add? So I don't get burnt out. So my doctors don't get burnt out. So my practice manager doesn't get burnt out. Like what should I be doing with that money? And we talk about that a lot at Whisker Club. Literally we have at any given time, we're doing like 10 sprints. And right now we're doing some huge end of year sprints. And I kind of have our web team, which is our biggest team, our development team, kind of working on it. And I was talking to the head of that team yesterday. I'm like, you know, we could go get someone like a year or two out of school who could be the project manager for this. And I know we talked about not wanting to hire someone for the rest of the year, but the time spent between me, you and our current team doing this it is so astronomical compared to bringing someone in. We should just do it. Do you, do vet hospitals think that way? Like what I was just talking about with preventing burnout and, and adding more bandwidth. They should. I don't think a lot of them are. And I think this conversation today we're having, hopefully will create some awareness around that because it's, I think what you're mentioning is genius because you know, one part of it is, are you growing your business more Two, How are you building a personal wealth or three? How are you trying to create yourself a better lifestyle? And I believe that's, that's an amazing thought to have because there's just another example I was having because, of course, like because of the way the environment is right now, people are looking to even hire relief vets so they can be able to take some time off. But some of them are asking certain rates. And I remember asking one of the owners we work with and I was like, well, how, you know, how much is your time worth to you? You know, how much is your sanity worth to you? And, you know, of course, he was so hung up on like, it was like 100 or 200 dollars more they wanted compared to what he would usually pay. And I was like, so, you know, you're going to get a whole free day to yourself now and not even have to be there. Like, how much is that worth to you? And I think that's awesome that you bring something like that up because it, it would be, it would help a lot too, especially with a lot of the practice owners that I see today too, are just, some of them are losing veterinarians. I was just talking to one yesterday. She has two veterinarians that are just about to give birth, like literally within like two days apart. So she's going to be going on from six vets to, I think, three and a half, I think it was, because there's going to be one of them that's. Two of them are going to be dropping off because they're full time. And then there's another one, I guess, is not going to be there too. And she's, it's literally, it's now she's going to have to step up and work harder. <laughs> so it's crazy. Yeah. What is sanity worth as a business owner? Like sanity is long gone at this point for me, but, and I, and I think a lot of vets feel that way, but yeah, man, it's like, so, so interesting to think about just from how people are spending their money. So let me ask you this, because you're talking about creating personal wealth. Is there something that the average veterinary business owner can do, you know, like today, they're sitting here listening to this in a couple of weeks, probably, and they're, they're listening to this and they're like, you know what, I've got 500,000 cash and we're like, what do I need to do? What do you think? They, what do they just go call up Fidelity, call up whatever, you know, a, if they don't have a 401k, do they implement that? What do you recommend? Well, I would, I would say the first thing they should do is call us. Kidding, well, there you go. Kidding. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, listen, us- if you're calling people, call them and then call us too. If you're out there listening. <laughs> like in reality, because like the last thing, you know, you don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse. I think the, the biggest thing that they can do is like, hey, if you want to figure out how to become a little bit more independent of the practice, you're not having to, you know, one thing, not having to work there as much, but also more independent from not relying on the future sale of the practice to provide your retirement for you, you should have a ongoing check-in that you do to make sure, hey, how much money should I be keeping in the business? How well did the business do over the last, you know, three months? Can I take quarter quarterly distributions? And you know, look, surprising thing, and whoever is listening right now, like I get this time and time after again, 
is that, you know, the money that in the business, if I take it out to my personal balance sheet or I take it personally, I'm going to get taxed on it. Well, if you are an S corp or an LLC filing as an S corp, you already are being taxed on it because it's getting transferred over to your personal tax return as business profits. So if you leave it in the business or if you take it out, it doesn't matter. Like realistically, you could transfer it back and forth. The biggest thing is when you start commingling your personal expenses in your business, now they're calling what you're, you're piercing the corporate veil in a way. And it's creating, it can create some problems if you ever get audited or have people looking at you. However, it's just like, if you have a lump of money in the business, well, you got to first identify what is that amount of money that you want to keep there. And then what's the rest of the money that can be utilized for other purposes. So, you know, if your practice for two to three months requires X amount of dollars to maintain itself. So if you do have a hiccup of a month, your revenues, you're going through a seasonal change and you need a little extra cash, you keep that money in there. But then like the other money should be now being allocated to either grow the practice or like what you're mentioning, Adam, is now we take that and put it on our balance sheet to now build our own wealth. You know, what do you do with that? It really depends on what the goal is. So you could go invest it. You could put it in cash. Maybe you want to look at different tax buckets to put the money into or the risk that you're taking with it, correlating it with your overall plan. Like how does it all fit together? And then what I would also add to this is that you know we we like to do two things with practice owners is you create a balance between taking monthly draws from the business to build wealth in addition to what you're taking in income and then every quarter getting together and then talking about okay what money do you have in your business that's just what we call dead cash it's money that's just sitting there has no purpose has no intentions to it and now let's do something with it like we have a client next week we're talking to like that with a 600k you know, they have some taxes and stuff they have to pay, but we're talking about pulling another two to 250 from the business to put towards their balance sheet. And it's, you know, one of those things we get together with them pretty frequently. And they also take draws from the business of $6,000 a month. So, you know, it's one of those things that like, instead of just leaving the money in there, like they're growing too. Like they've got another veterinarian that they've hired recently. They have more staff. They've increased salaries. Like I said, this environment is really cool where we're at because it's creating a lot of opportunity. And I don't see it changing that much where, you know, some people I talk to, they're, hey, our practice is going <laughs> to completely, the revenues are going to fall off a cliff soon. And I don't see that happening anytime soon because it seems the spending is becoming even more and more important to people today because people are treating their animals like their children. But then it's also becoming easier for people to do things. So people who don't have money to pay for services now you've got things like pet insurance and you've got these payment plans that people can go on. I know my practice that I go to, now they have this thing where, you know, you put it on there and then you charge it up and then over 12 months you pay it off. So you do a down payment and then over 12 months you pay it off. So if, there's so many things that can be implemented and brought into a business to kind of hedge some of these concerns that are out there. Because I think the biggest thing is people aren't going to just not, they're going to stop showing up. The only thing that could really hurt a practice is if they're, the saturation of them in one area. Like if there's a practice that opens up like one mile apart for like many miles, then yeah, there's going to be a problem because there's just too many. But if that never becomes a case, then I don't think any savvy person would open a practice right next to the other one unless they've got a lot of money to back them, like a bigger corporation that can put themselves and market really aggressively and do these things. Because most people who are, you know, the typical business owner are not going to just go out there and do something insane like that and just try to open practices so close to each other because it's just, it's going to starve your revenues. 
Love it, man. I love the answers. I don't know. You called yourself a jerk. I don't know if anyone else has ever called you a jerk. I don't think you're a jerk. I love it. I love how real you're being. I mean, this is real stuff. And and by the way, you said something that I learned early on into owning my first business is, you know, if you're an S Corp LLC and whether you transfer it to yourself or it's in the business, you are being taxed on it. So totally true. And yeah, I mean, I've met with so many financial advisors that have helped me because I admittedly was not good at this stuff. I've talked about that on the podcast a long time. I remember being in my early 20s and buying a house and, you know, and having a crazy amount of money in my savings and thinking like, yeah, I am the most successful. I'm such a badass. Well, no, that money sat there for like a long time and made nothing for me. So there's a lot more you could be doing with your money. I'm saying that is not an expert at all. Tom and, and his team can give you much better advice than I can, but I can tell you the things I've learned and the things I've done for myself. I have worked hard and have sacrificed, so I can build personal wealth. And so I can retire one day and not worry about stuff. And doesn't mean I'm sitting here cutting $20,000 checks every Friday to myself out of the business, but I found ways to invest and be smart with money, which is just really important. And for the amount of time and effort I put into my business, I deserve that. And you deserve it too, if you're out there listening. You know, at some point, if you are sitting on a lot of cash, you shouldn't feel guilty about saying, the one thing I'll say that I talk about a lot, it's your ass is on the line. If you own the business, the amount of pressure and the amount of stress that comes from being the, the single person or one of the people that are you know on the line every day, it's a lot. And you should compensate yourself for that. I wholeheartedly believe that. Absolutely. I agree with it too. If you're not, and you're just relying on the eventual sale of your business, it, you're just automatically reducing so much opportunity for you. And you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you can't choose. You have to go with the flow and whatever happens after that. So it's, I, I live in the world, Adam, of like having flexibility and having the ability to adjust when I need to. And, you know, the more that like, you know, myself being a business owner as well, we've got a team of three that are with us right now. And we're growing pretty consistently, too. And I keep looking at the fact of like making sure I'm taking money from the business, that we're growing it in a way we're focusing on like certain retention programs and rewarding people and how we're growing it in a way where we're, you know, just not mindlessly spending money on things. And, you know, the more that you can be a business. And this is something too, I think a big takeaway from today, be a business owner first, a veterinarian second. And if you can't be the business owner first, you need to find someone to be the business owner for you. <laughs> Man, I love my wife will listen to this. She's heard me like in my office on the phone with some of our customers. And like, I raised my voice. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. You're they, cause I hear it so often. Listen, Adam, I'm just a vet. I'm like, stop. You're not just a vet. It's like saying, I'm just a coder. No, I'm not. I own the business. I code as part owner of the business, but I am not a coder. I own the business. And there's so many vet professionals that say that to me. I'm like, you got to stop right now because that's really bullshit for you to say. And it's really unfair to your employees who depend on you not in your abil abilities to diagnose my pets, but in your ability to run a strong business. And if you don't see yourself as a business owner and you see yourself just as a veterinarian, you're already in real trouble. So I love that you just said that because it reinforces something that I say often. Of course. And it, what's so fascinating about it, when we have clients we work with, that they, they talk about buying a business or starting a business and they want to do these things. Like we really have a conversation with them around like, what does it look like? What is your culture going to be like? How are you going to perform? Like, what are your services you're going to offer? What is the profits going to be after a year, two years, three years? Have you created a performa? We have these conversations with people like, 
you know, business ownership is not just, hey, I go start a business up today <laughs> and I become a business owner. There's a lot of little pieces and things in there where I think the schools are doing a phenomenal job, too, of offering the, the variety of curriculum that they're doing with the VBMA, where it's like these veterinary students are not coming out, graduating, now having more business savviness to them. I still, you know, believe to a certain degree, it's like, of course, when you're drinking through a fire hose, figuring out how to make things, pulling it all together and making it simple can be tough for a lot of people, which is what we strive ourselves on making things simple, pulling it together, making it simple. And the more that like, you know, when you want to be a business owner, because, you know, if you are a business owner first, you got to know the things like your profits and like how, what, what is your exit plan in the future? What is your culture? Like you have to know these things. You know, otherwise, like, you know, are, there are people personally in, in, in business, their plan, you know, they have success. They have a lot of success. And it could have just been an accidental result. It just happened. Maybe it was right place, right time, right environment. Who knows what the scenario is? But they did really well and they cashed out really well. And they're like, look, I did it. But then trying to replicate that every single person trying to do the same thing, it's it's not going to work that way every time. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta be really savvy in these things. And you know, if you don't have the right people, I think the biggest thing that I can end this note here is that make sure you have the right professionals out there. Make sure you have like, you know. People like ourselves, you have business, also business consultants, you have attorneys, you have accountants, suggest maybe an accountant that does CFO type services, making sure you have the right types of insurance professionals, making sure you have a good marketing team like Adam and them with the Whisker Cloud. Like you should have all of these people providing a lot of horsepower for you and then collaborating in a way or having a quarterback or someone to help pull together all the pieces for you. And the more that you can have someone like if you aren't good at it, <laughs> going on to what you mentioned a second ago, Adam, of, hey, I'm, I'm a veterinarian first. I'm just a veterinarian. If you're not very good at it, then you got to get really great at delegating things and finding people that you know that can do things. But you should at least have an overall general understanding of what, what people are doing, not just blindly trusting them. And I know that's the easiest thing to do is just to say, well, I'm just going to say transfer it over, let them do it all. But you, you need to understand those things. And we, we challenge our marketing team all the time of like, you know, I'm, I'm not a marketing wizard. I will say I'm more in the marketing business than I am in the financial business. And it's one of those things that I'm constantly keep asking them about, like, you know, what they're doing and how is it resulting in revenue and business. And, you know, these things are super important because otherwise, you know, if we're not getting any return on what we're doing, why are we doing it? Like, that's not that's not smart business for us. So but anyway, just to leave it on that note. My final question of the day, exit plans. What percentage of vets have them? What percentage of them have them? So I guess let's define that a just a little bit more real fast is how many of them think about them versus how many don't versus how many have one versus how many don't. I will tell you the exit plan, People, most people thinking about them, you know, maybe about 50 to 60% of the practices we talk to have an idea of how, how they want to exit. Do they actually have a plan on how they're going to do it or have they started taking the steps to do it and implementing something? No. A lot of them, I will say the plan for a lot of people today, most people, not to say everyone, but most, they're getting knocked on their door consecutively by buying groups. And then these buying groups are saying, hey, we're going to give you so much money. And then they're like, sold. <laughs> and then they sell it. That's their exit plan. Now they're done. They're out. Do you think that this is going to sound bad. I'm not saying this is a jerk, but I'm saying this because, you know, even with who you work with, you said 50 to 60%. So let's say 40 to 50% don't have an exit plan. If you're a consolidator buying hospitals, 
man, this is, I, I'm saying in my head, it sounds mean. If you're out there listening, I don't mean this to me, but are they kind of licking their chops? Are they like, oh, this is like taking candy from a baby? Hey, we're going to give you $2 million right now if you'll take it. And they're like, oh, hell yeah, I'm tired. This sucks. Bye. I mean, does that happen? Every day. It's happening every day. And I think there's even one last thing to add to that is that what's happening is that because of the veterinary practice owners not knowing their numbers and having certain profit and loss statements or knowing their taxes, they're actually leaving money on the table too. Isn't that crazy? God, my mind's blown by this. Okay. So let's talk about Florida veterinary advisors. So say I'm, I'm a vet, I own a hospital, you know, I go to your website and we'll be linking this in the show notes. It's flveterinaryadvisors.com. I go to your website, I click schedule a call. What can someone expect from that call? So the way that we work with people is that the first conversation is complimentary. There's no cost to you. Uh, and it's really meant to, we, someone on our team will c- contact you to set up a call. Usually we'll do over a Zoom because we're working over 25 states right now. Uh, we're based out of Tampa, Florida. However, clients all over the place. We actually picked up someone in Vermont recently, which is incredible. I didn't know we ever work with someone in Vermont, but that happened. And basically we'd set up a time, it's about an hour. And the whole idea is for us to get a better understanding of how your business is, how you've planned, where you've started, what your goals are, where you're trying to go, talk a little bit more about your personal financial plan, how is it coordinating with your business. And then from there, typically, if it's like, hey, I want to start working with you guys, we actually have an entire planning process that we bring people through. So the first part of the planning process, we usually talk about personal because, well, if you don't know what your personal finances need, it's really hard to understand where you need to drive your business. So we want to make sure like, hey, how are you protected? How are you building up assets, paying off debts, managing risk, you know, all those different things, saving money. How does all that kind of play out? And then we will then transition over to the business to then talk a little bit more about how are you protecting the value on the income of the business, protecting it from loss of employees, building up your culture effectively to focus on rewarding, recruiting, retaining people. And then really being able to coordinate a, a plan on how they want to eventually exit. So we'll talk to them of how, you know, do you want to sell it to another veterinarian? Do you want to sell it to a buying group? Do you want to keep it? And then really getting them on a focal point of having them be able to choose a direction they want to go. And then we can be able to pivot over time as things change. So as we go through the planning, like there's multiple meetings we go through from that first conversation. It's really to answer your questions, help us get to know you. And the way that we engage with all of our clients now is that we we go through a consulting fee. So what we do is we charge a, a monthly fee to work together. So depending on how much you want in our involvement. And then from there, there's other services we can provide, like 401ks, group benefits. We do managed wealth. We do different insurances like life insurance and long-term disability, long-term care, deferred compensation programs. So there's a plethora of different things that we do. But because of our focus more on the education side of things, we always want to plan, create a plan, and then find out how to plug in all the things along the way. So I, the way, the best way I can say it from a visual or a, uh, let's say a metaphor from here, is that think of it like you're trying to do, put together a puzzle. And we're the front cover of the puzzle box. And then we're showing you how to start putting together the puzzle. And then as we work together, we can be able to figure out what pieces need to go where. And that's meaning people that come on the bus or certain products and services that you should be implementing along the way. 
Love it. That is great. Everyone out there, like I said, check the show notes. We'll be sure to link to that. But man, this was this was such a great episode. I love that. How much that people can walk away from this conversation with and really start thinking about their business differently. And you know, I mean, like I said, I've listened. I listen to plenty of podcasts for you know software business owners that constantly open my mind. And and this this episode should do that for you. So if you're out there and you're listening, check the show notes. Check out their site. You know, if you like Whisker Talks, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on Stitcher, we're across the board. Be sure to like, subscribe, all of that fun stuff. And Tom, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you today, man. This was great. No, this has been awesome. I appreciate you having me here. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>